Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Sexplanations podcast number seven. I'm Lindsay Doe, clinical sexologist and host of the YouTube channel by the same name. Joining me today is Eden Atwood, who came out loud and proud on our show four years ago as an intersex woman. Yay! Um, did I say all of that correctly? Are you loud and proud? Well, I'm pretty loud for sure. Proud, yes, I think that covers it. And you do you identify as an intersex woman? I do. Awesome. Okay. Well, let me know if any part of my language is incorrect at any time. You're a busy woman. You have a family, an important career, seeing clients as a therapist or social worker. You're a social worker. <laughs> so I'm really glad that you're hanging out with me and sharing your inner thoughts how about a quick montage of our first time together? The main event, <clears throat> I want to introduce you to my friend Eden Atwood. She's an amazing community member here in Missoula, Montana, but working worldwide through what is called the Interface Project. Tell me about your sexuality. My sexuality is hetero-flexible, um, cisgendered, but with an intersex identity as well. What does heteroflexible mean to you? Mostly heterosexual. I'm attracted to the opposite gender of my own, but I've had some experiences that were lovely with women too. What does cisgendered mean to you? Cisgendered means that you are born with a body and a gender identity that match. What does intersex mean to you? Intersex is a broad category for a lot of conditions where a person's genital or reproductive anatomy or a chromosomal pattern doesn't fit within the typical definitions of male or female. So it breaks a gender binary. Absolutely. What's never been told but has always been the truth and will always be the truth is that there's all kinds of different chromosomal patterns. There's XXY, there are XY females, which is what I am. Um, so I was born with pretty typically female, external-looking genitals, but I had testes inside my body. One in 2,000 kids is born with genitals that you can't tell right at birth if the child is male or female. And really tragically and horribly what happens is out of a great deal of fear and prejudice, a scalpel is raised in order to normalize the genitals and to force a gender identity on a child. What's the solution? Bodily autonomy. Self-determination, those are the big things. Everybody should have it. Everybody, everybody. Love your child and be brave. Choose a gender. Choose a name, choose a gender. Know that you might be wrong. And that's true for any kid, whether they have ambiguous genitals or not. You could be wrong. We know that's true because of the trans community. And then let that child get to decide what they want to do with their body and their genitals. If you had to define intersex in a sentence, could you do it? No, can't. Um, I couldn't either, and I'm intersex. Because I don't want to use what it's not in the definition. I don't want to talk about the binary right. to explain intersexuality. So we're talking about a biological, chromosomal, genetic, Reprodu yeah. reproductive between male and female. Yes. Because inter is referring to between not inside, so intercourse <laughs> is not for inter people. Inside, not it's between. A lot of very smart people have tried to work on this definition. It's very difficult. What do you think about it? Watching that, it now, I think it was a good one, and and I remember being nervous because I had not done a lot of 
recorded for for the world to see speaking on anything other really than than my personal experience so i presenting facts or trying to in the community would try to come up with a definition for what it means to be intersex when a child is born with intersex traits or what intersex is and it was as you pointed out in our first interview that it was tricky to come up with something that didn't sound super medical mm-hmm. or uh, super dense. And so many of us now, including very recently a, a, a model, a Dutch model, Hannah Gabby, who's done very well in her career, came out in support of intersex awareness and identified herself as intersex and talked about her experience. She's gotten a lot, a lot, a lot of press which is terrific. I mean, she's a, a lovely human being and, and doing a lot of good stuff. Um, she just made the top 50 LGBTQI power players. Um, they, and I don't remember whose list it was. But anyway, she was terrific. In any event, they we all use this definition that we kind of arrived upon. But it's also about making it, when it rolls off the tongue, to put inflection in the right place, a chromosomal pattern or reproductive anatomy or genitals that don't seem to fit the typical definitions of male or female. So you try to find a way to <laughs> have that be expressed in a way that, like, hold up, did, did you say genitals? <laughs> <laughs> wait, go back to genitals. Or, but wait, chromosome, chromosomes, but I have chromosomes, right? <laughs> It's like because yeah. it's something that that is not uh, easily pull it up. You think you've like okay, I've heard it about it before. I'm not sure which one do we have again. If you're a girl, you've got what for chromosomes. If it's not part of your daily lingo, then it still gets a little confusing. So you're saying that when talking about the meaning of intersex, because you want to increase the awareness, absolutely, that- that's the only way to stop the unnecessary surgeries. Right. So part of that is to put into your tone being gentle and being soft and compassionate. And then while doing that, you're removing the taboo or the shame of talking about sexuality in the first place and and anatomy, but then also about something that people don't understand. Right. I mean, the quote that often is repeated and really sums it up is that being intersex or being born with an intersex trait is not uncommon. It's just unheard of. Oh, well, hopefully we can change that with this podcast. Yes. Everyone here, hear what intersex is. So we didn't show this when we posted this, the video on Sexplanation's YouTube channel, but you shared a lot of your story with me that day. Mm. And I think that just like the model who is doing great things for the world and being really honest about her own experiences, you have done that. And so on this platform... Do you want to share your experience? I sure I can. Um, I think when we can make it real and take it out of the hypothetical and share a story that comes with all of the inherent challenges of telling something that is difficult about your life, it makes it so much more relatable and understandable. So my story, and I sometimes say, I think I always say that I have one of the easier stories. Mm. For my generation, so at 48, no longer the age of wisdom. No? Now, at four years post the age of wisdom, (laughs) (laughs) I'm in the age of cynicism now. Oh, But it's going fine. (laughs) I'm really fun at dinner parties. 
So the people in my generation will talk about their experiences where there was so much shame and secrecy, and that still can happen. I was the last of my girlfriends not to have her period. I was very concerned about it, and I think somehow intuitively I knew that something something was up, but I definitely didn't want to be left behind. But I looked like we all looked when we were 11 and 12, so no body hair, no real breast development yet, mm-hmm. like breast buds maybe, some girls m- more than others. But when my friends started to really go through puberty and their bodies were changing, mine did, really didn't. I mean, I was super tall anyway, which can be associated with androgen and sensitivity syndrome, which is the, I say with, I'm making air quotes, people, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the condition that I was diagnosed with, which had a variety of names. Mm-hmm. It started off being called male pseudohermaphroditism, which is a antiquated term and sort of confusing. It doesn't uh, easily lead you down a, a path of understanding or, or even treatment options. Right. It has a, a very stigmatizing sound to it. It was replaced by a name, testicular feminization syndrome, which, again was crunchy and led people to be like, what? now what? You just said te- testicles and, and feminization yeah. in the same phrase. What? So it wasn't helpful either. And it's now it's known as androgen insensitivity syndrome, which really tells you what the syndrome is about. So in fetal development, all human life starts out inherently female mm-hmm. and has to, uh, based on chromosomes, typically... That's the big thing about intersex. Typically, but not always, if the chromosomes are XY, then a typical uh, stage of fetal development will masculinize or virilize the fetus, and the child is born with... So the clitoris and the penis are essentially, in utero, the same organ and goes down one of two pathways. So when people get confused about, like, so you're a hermaphrodite? You have both sets? There's no such thing. Unless you had like a vestigial twin or something, right, right, right. there's uh, we have organs that either go one way in gestational development or the other way. So mm-hmm. labial folds could also be the scrotum. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same embryonic tissue. Yes. So in my ninth grade year, I thought maybe I could get a shot of estrogen that would make me spontaneously start my period because I was getting really panicked by that time. And it didn't work, and they did some blood work, and then I was never invited back into the exam room for any follow-up discussion. So this was uh, ninth grade. Your female friends had gone through puberty. Most of them, You weren't experiencing a period yet. And so did you go by yourself to the doctor, or someone took you? I begged my mother. Okay. I begged my mother. And she said, oh, your Aunt Alva didn't have her her period till she was 19. Oh, okay. Don't worry about it. But I think my Aunt Alva had AIS. Ah, gotcha. No children, had been divorced, was a cattle rancher baroness. And so ah. I'm pretty sure she, because it is often maternally passed, as, or it could be a spontaneous mutation. Right. So after that, it was told to me by my mother that it doesn't look like you're going to be pumping out any babies. So you went to the doctor and they oh, said, 
we're doing this blood test, or they didn't we're give gonna, you We're going to need to check your blood, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But then I did, was never shared with me what the results were. And the results were that I had very high levels of testosterone, and some of that naturally converts in the liver through a process called aromatization into estrogen. So I had some secondary sex characteristic development, like little breast buds, but because I have the complete form of androgen insensitivity syndrome, my body cannot on a cellular level respond to the effects of androgens. So if you and I started taking, well, I already do take testosterone, but if you took the dose that I take, Mm -hmm. your voice would change. You would grow hair on your face and in other places, and you would uh, experience, we assume, Mm -hmm. um, some virilization that women with AIS, the complete form, don't experience. So we'll get back to the story, but you take testosterone to return you to the body that you had? Oh, good for you. Absolutely. Yes. That's why. Because they put me on estrogen after they took out my, air quotes, twisted ovaries, which were actually my internal in the body cavity testes that were producing hormones that I've never been able to replace again without having to take something that I have the honor of having to pay for, which seems crazy especially during those times when I've been uninsured. Mm-hmm. I have to pay for something to replace what was taken from me. So with- what what this audience doesn't realize is that when you were born, you were born with internal testes. Right. And, and is and that ex- the situation for all people no. who have androgen insensitive, insensitivity? So this, uh, as all human life is expressed on a continuum, so too is this particular way of human life expressing itself. So there is partial androgen androgen insensitivity. And it can be so partial that it doesn't even affect fertility. And so the child will be born an XY male appearing child with who may be fertile, mm-hmm. all the way to complete androgen insensitivity syndrome, which is what I have, where the effects of, of androgens are nil, non-existent on my body. I have no sensitivity. So androgen, as in the typically male hormone, isn't affecting your XY body. And so you develop as a female Uh in appearance, but you you were still born with testicles, which is another... Testes internally. Right. Right. That would never... Sometimes they herniate. So the way a child can come to medical attention is if they are in, and there are about 30 mm -hmm. different presentations of intersex that exist or are known at this point or named. Yeah. But in androgen insensitivity syndrome, a child can come to medical attention because what happens to... And what isn't widely known is that we're all assigned a gender based on what whoever delivers us looks between our legs and says, that is a penis, uh, that's a scrotum, that is a vulva, vagina, this child's female, this child is male, and that's how it all goes down. That Mm -hmm. is how children are assigned biological sex and a gender that goes along with it. Right. And we know how problematic that is Mm -hmm. more and more. So a child can come with an intersex diagnosis of AIS could come to medical attention because sometimes the internal testes will herniate abdominally in the groin area, and then they'll they'll biopsy and they'll figure out, oh, okay. And the panic is that little girls don't have testes. And so there is 
they take science and statistics about undescended testicles in typical XY males mm-hmm. and try to apply it to the intersex population, okay. which might on the surface of things sound like a fair assumption, except it doesn't take into consideration what I personally believe is just plain old homophobia goes to, to fear of difference. That's not what that looks like. And the cancer risk is elevated. Mm -hmm. And there is movement now where some doctors have actually come out and said, that isn't a fair assumption to make about typical XY males and undescended testicles. Yeah, so we stayed curious. We're learning more and more. And it sounds like the new decision among the medical field and with the intersex movement is leave it alone. And... You can fix the hernias. You can monitor. Do you lop off the breasts of every adolescent girl who has the BRCA gene? You certainly do not. You monitor because of bodily autonomy. Right. Because of self-determination. And in the case of children who are born with ambiguous genitals, where you can't easily decide or assign a biological sex, there is fear and panic and I know this because I've talked to and counseled so many of these parents, there is fear and panic that comes into the room, and it is felt by everybody. And the the parental fear is, who's going to love my child? Anybody. <laughs> All well, sorts right? of people. But of course, but that's because you're, you're Dr. Doe. No. You get it. <laughs> but the, that is the... The, fa- the fear and panic, yeah. and fueled by this, quote-unquote, cancer risk that's very high, and, and it's not very high, even when they talk about what the cancer risk is. It is not something that, if it weren't in this presentation, you would act on in this way. Oh, I mean, we do that with other things, too, right? If you don't have a baby come out of your vagina, then you're at a higher risk for cancer. I'm like, that's not a good enough reason for me to procreate. Right. Yeah. So there are a variety of things like that. So that's one way a child can come to medical attention with an intersex trait is when they have complete AIS. If they have a partial form of it, then the genitals might look ambiguous. What has happened is that the standard medical practice has been to pick up the scalpel and perform medically unnecessary cosmetic procedures to feminize the genitals of these babies in an effort to make them more socially acceptable. But it renders them with a lifetime of pain, incontinence, inability to orgasm, and in that inability to couple with another human being in that most intimate of ways. And it's, it's barbarous. So the UN uh, Special Rapporteur on Torture has made a declarative statement against unnecessary genital surgeries on children. Mm-hmm. When I say I've, I had a relatively easy story, I had parts of my body taken out of me and I was lied to about it mm-hmm. by the very institutions, parenthood, and the medical field that you might assume you would trust the most. Right. But they didn't chop up my genitals. Yeah. And to hear... The stories of some people that I really dearly love talk about what they lost Mm -hmm. and the pain and suffering and confusion um, that had 
ensues and follows them is heartbreaking. A friend of mine was just on his way to the to the national conference we have every year in the summer. It's called the AIS DSD, Difference of Sex Development. Some say disorder. We don't like that very much because it mm-hmm. emboldens that sort of like must order the disordered kind of thinking. So difference of sex development and had a very difficult life, had a very difficult life and was on his way to the conference, had had a a host of medical things going wrong recently and started drinking again and pulled over in a gas station and died in his car. And that's related. That is 100% related, just like the ACEs study tells us, the adverse childhood experiences. Now, being surgerized or lied to about your body or having your choice stolen from you when you're a child is not on the ACEs inventory, but it happens to kids before they're 18 years old, and it is an adverse childhood experience. And that whole, do you know about this study, the ACEs study? Mm -hmm. So it covers neglect, poverty, abuse, a 10-point questionnaire, and you get one point for each thing you say yes to mm-hmm. on or before your 18th birthday. And what they discovered, this is Kaiser Permanente and the CDC and Stanford, a 17,000 participant study that the magic number at which you see all kinds of health issues later in life come up is four. If you have four adverse childhood experiences, neglect, abuse, poverty, etc. 10 point that rates of COPD and cardiac issues and and then behavioral things like smoking, drinking and mortality is decreased by almost 20 years on average. Wow, and you're saying that well having yeah, medical trauma is not on that list, uh, but it is certainly a adverse childhood experience. And so statistically people's numbers are even higher than that risk risky for and so it's more likely that people are having adult adverse side effects because of surgeries performed on people the, with intersex. So just even, and it's intersex. not only just uh, behavioral choices, like, you know, you have adverse childhood experiences and then you're shooting up in an alley and, and your life is negatively impacted and so to your health. It's also what it is to have adverse childhood experiences like being surgerized or having one of these awful intersex experiences where you become hypervigilant. It is a developmental PTSD recipe where you you have cortisol coursing through your body mm-hmm. and you are an exaggerated startle response and uh, trust is impacted and attachment is broken. And what does that do to a human being and their ability to have a mind-body connection that is healthy and strong? Mm. Like the great Monty Mitchell from New Zealand, the intersex pioneer activist, said she used to imagine that she was just a head that towed a body around. Aww. So lots of grieving. Oh, and and without awareness, mm-hmm. every time another child is put through this kind of experience, it is traumatizing for the whole community. We didn't even have a community until 20 years ago. Which I think is 
a really positive note in all of this, right? There's a lot that has gone wrong and is still going wrong. And I think what's so amazing is your willingness to speak out about what has happened to you mm. and keep increasing the visibility and the awareness around it and just say again and again, there are alternatives to right. making bodies binary. And there are alternatives to when you don't know something, ask and don't just ask one doctor, but ask many doctors or ask people who have experience with but having non-binary of, bodies. The process of raising vis- visibility is left to the people who have experienced these surgeries mm-hmm. and these lies and this great stigma and shame to be the ones that speak out. And like my friend Jim used to say, every time he would tell his story, it felt like jumping off the roof of a building, that he never got to a point where it was de rigueur, easy, another Mm -hmm. day at the office. It cost him every single time he told his story. I'll help take some of that on. I know you will. I'll I'll increase some visibility. Oh, I'm I'm sorry that that anyone feels like they need to carry the weight of that. And I'm so grateful that people like you and Jim have been willing to to jump off the building again and again in in an effort to have things be different for for other children. I want to let people know how common this is. Mm -hmm. So I have a way of doing this that also involves thanking the many patrons we have on patreon.com slash explanations podcast those who support us, especially Laura Schuster, Paul Nixon, Donna Flint, and the Millers, who are pledged at the boss level. Each week on Sexplanations Podcast, we do a multiple choice question for these individuals to just like celebrate them. And the question that you and I came up with is statistically being intersex is as common as A, being a redhead, B, having green eyes, C, an INFJ on the Myers-Briggs personality test, or D, all of the above. Which, And we structured it because we want people to, to think, yeah, of course, a D, all of the above. It's, <laughs> those things are not super common, right? It's not brunette, Blue brown eyes, eyes, exactly. But they're still seen regularly enough that we know that they're out there and we wouldn't think any less of somebody who had green eyes or had red hair or identified as an introverted, intuitive feeling judging person. You might not stay married to them. (laughs) Sorry, Bruce. But we get along really well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So... So we're looking at about 2% of the population. And and as I told you before we started rolling, that the, the quote that is oft repeated within the community that I love and does a lot to, I think, cement it in people's minds, what the frequency and what we're doing here is that intersex is not uncommon. It's mm. just unheard of. So everyone hear us. <laughs> hear us on this Explanations podcast. It, what, what do you want them to know about being intersex? Well, here are some of the things that that sometimes can happen. Intersex and trans can be conflated. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason to separate those two things. The intersex community owes a lot to the trans community who owes a lot to the LGBTQ, well, the um, the gay and lesbian homosexual community that were activists. We all pave ways in that way. The different legal issues that impact People who are trans having to fight for surgeries that they do want, Mm -hmm. if they do want surgeries, where 
the legal issue with intersex children is to protect children from having surgeries that they haven't even been consulted about. Right. That they have a right to decide for themselves if those are surgeries that they want. Mm-hmm. And we do see some change happening there. So that's one thing. They're two different things. Intersex and trans are two different things. That there's no such thing as true hermaphrodites with both sets of genitals. Mm-hmm. People can get very confused about that, but that's a myth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a Greek myth <laughs> that there are lots of people who go through their lives with an intersex trait that is never diagnosed mm-hmm. because it's not always associated with infertility. There are some intersex conditions where people are still able to procreate should they choose to, like congenital adrenal hyperplasia. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many different ways that life can be expressed, and that is such a beautiful thing and so right. so unnecessary to have so much fear around it, mm-hmm. but we do. So the more we talk about the things that can be potentially fearsome to us or confusing, the more people get to just be who they are without having to carry so much shame around. Shame yeah. is the great life destroyer. I, I agree. Let's stop pathologizing diversity, shall we? <laughs> so um, we talked a little bit about the beginning of your story. Mm. You weren't given information by the doctor that you had testosterone in your system, but you must have found that out eventually. I found out in a pretty painful way. So then after my mother told me I wouldn't be having children, the second piece of information I received was that we would have to go to the Mayo Clinic over spring break, and I was going to have to have a surgery to remove my quote-unquote twisted ovaries because they were cancer-prone. Oh, so you didn't have them removed as an infant? No, not until I was 14. Okay, but they knew when you were a child? Nope. This oh. was all, this all happened because I went to the doctor wanting this uh, shot to start my period. So nobody knew anything until the blood test. Oh, okay. No one knew anything. And then spring break comes. I have this surgery. I'm put on essentially the birth control pill to pump my body full of estrogen. Mm-hmm. So I had like breast development overnight which was confusing and painful. Yes, and oh. brought about a lot of inappropriate, unwanted attention. And I walked away from that experience feeling like very confused. Yeah. And that I wasn't where did I tell people where I was? Did I tell people I had a, a surgery? Do I what was my surgery? And then things that what that does to a parent child bond. Now my mother has this huge secret that she can't tell me because she trusts the doctors Yeah, at the Mayo freaking clinic, Mm -hmm. such a prestigious institution. Our relationship starts to fall apart. I'm under the sway of hormones and that I wasn't producing in that way prior. Mm -hmm. My mother's got this secret. I feel that something's off, but I don't know what it is. This is a severe attachment disruption to a pretty precarious attachment bond in the first place. So I ran away from home at 15. I got on a bus and went to Mississippi where my father lived. And my father knew but didn't come to the Mayo Clinic. I always found it strange, like, how did they let me run away and not, like, 
ship my butt back. Like, yeah. How did that? How did I get away with that? But they were they were both colluding with the doctors, and I say colluding, but you know, taking the advice they were given. And I like to point out that if I had been in my mother's position, mm-hmm. one dealing of the cards, you are the oppressor. One dealing, you're the oppressed. So I don't kid myself that if I had been in her position, I might have done something so terribly different. There's no way to prove that, and my mother's a very intelligent woman. So when I get to Mississippi, my father is divorcing his fifth wife. She's angry with him and decides to get back at him and tell me that the doctors lied to you and your parents lied to you too because what's really wrong with you is that you're half man, half woman, which goes to show you how confusing and when you've got lies already in the water, how murky everything becomes and how misunderstood it all is. But for me, I thought, oh, well, that that makes sense. And the word that, that comes right up for so many of us when we tell our stories, when we get together is, I'm a freak. And so I lost my mind. It was back in the day when you could call 411 and you could actually get the phone number of your doctor. Mm-hmm. And so I called him at 4 o'clock in the morning, quite drunk, if I'm being honest, and said I was going to sue and wept. And I'm not exactly sure how it all happened, but within a week I was back at the Mayo Clinic Mm -hmm. with my mother, without my father, and the doctors were now explaining to me more truth, though it was so medical and there were no social workers like what I am now. Mm-hmm. Now we have places like Children's at Denver where they have a multidisciplinary team and there are social workers that are part of that. Mm, that's so great to hear. They still make some choices that I disagree with, but they're getting closer. Mm. So I heard all of this information. I'm furious with my mother. My dad's not there. There is no social worker. They had us see a, a shrink, but the... It was was like one time. And when I tried to get my medical records back when I was 30 years old, because it was one of the things that we were all doing, like, we're going to get our records, they made me get my mother's signature. At 30? Yep. Wow. That must have been really frustrating. I thought it was pretty unbelievable. I don't think I'm shocked by it, but I am disappointed. Just the lack of language, the limitation of kindness really just like we don't know how to navigate this and so we just make these decisions that end up doing a lot of damage and I again I I can't say enough how grateful I am that you're willing to to pioneer a lot of the movement to change that so that people know what to say and you don't have to think that you're a freak you can identify with the whole community of people who will support each other and rally and get medical records and let's learn more and let's talk more. I think that's that's so cool. It comes with a cost. But what is gratifying is when I see the next generation, these young people like Pigeon, who's mm, yeah. done a couple BuzzFeeds and a Pop Sugar and Hannah Gabby and my great friend Emily, who has a YouTube channel herself, that they are in some ways growing up in a more enlightened time. It's so um, 
interesting the juxtaposition of it being a more enlightened and in other ways so <laughs> much of a <laughs> regression. Yeah, that's but true. But the that they have a ease with it all that the people in my generation don't have. The scars are more jagged, literal and figurative. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good lesson to everyone to look to the generation before yours and just feel so much debt, hopefully, to just say thank you for paving the way. Thank you for doing mm-hmm. hard work. Thank you for living in a time without the internet and working for us to have ways to communicate with each other now so that it doesn't have to be the same way forever. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so want to do... This is on the lighter side of things, but it's still work. Um, Every episode we do kegels as a group, and you can participate or not. It's called the main squeeze. Main squeeze, squeeze it good. And how it works is that we squeeze or tighten our pubic coccygeus muscles or PCs every time there's a vibration from this heartthrob massager during a message from our sponsor. (laughs) Okay. I was doing that anyway, which is so weird. <laughs> like the whole giggles. time. Totally. You're going to be sore tomorrow. Well. <laughs> or or you just have a really strong set of PCs. I like to just keep up on it. Good. That's good. All right. So here we go. One of the earliest vibrators was invented by a ventriloquist who simply took back massagers and attached plastic flowers to the ends of them so they would have a more fluttery vibration. The inventor's name was Ted Marsh, and he became very successful very quickly. But it all ended when one of his toys ruptured in a man's rectum, and Ted's company was sued for more money than he had. It's a kind of sad story. This is tragic. (laughs) On the positive side, (laughs) this is why I'm really glad that there are higher quality vibrators available now through adamandeve.com. Using promo code SEXPOD at checkout, gets you 50% off an eligible item, plus free shipping anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Did you say 50? 50. Five, five zero. zero. Half off. Sold. Good deal. <laughs> yeah. And the Heartthrob Massager is silicone. It's waterproof. It has multiple vibration settings. It's pretty great. That's pretty great. I yeah. always just use the one, but... The one, the one or the wand? <laughs> That's funny because both. <laughs> the one setting on the wand. Is it one where you have to plug it in? Well, you don't have to keep it plugged in. You charge it. Oh, okay. That's nice because some of them you have to keep them plugged in. Yeah, I can't be tied to an outlet. <laughs> I have to have freedom. <laughs> the first time I used a vibrator that was... It did have to be plugged in. It actually was a back massager. It might have been, but it, it was <laughs> it was old, and it it was probably from the time period where they would sell them as back massagers, even though they were intended for masturbation. And it sparked me. I got and you a were little like, electric. This zap. is amazing. Why <laughs> don't they all do no, this? That's not how I felt. <laughs> but yeah, I was definitely shocked. Oh, good. Okay, well, I'm glad that you did your kickles. I'm sweating. Yeah? No. Hard work? <laughs> Not when you're as experienced as I am. I'll, I'm going to get there someday. 
Maybe well, through Sexplanations podcast. I'm going to have <laughs> that's what they, yeah. stronger and stronger PCs. <laughs> <laughs> One week at a time. Um, we also do homework on this show. All right. Is there an assignment you want to give our audience? An assignment. Beyond, well, they've so they're already doing their PCs. What could they do to pull in the – you need to have sex. No. <laughs> have sex. With an intersex person. You just need to find <laughs> one that's willing and try not to be rude about it. You're my homework. <laughs> yeah. um, I have to – it's like a scavenger hunt. Do you mind? Uh, I, well, I don't know. I think the ultimate homework is to stay curious. Oh, I love that. Do you, well, do you have you a do website that. or an organization that you would recommend for them that is on task? Like they're doing it the right way? A hundred percent, yes. Interact. Ooh, yeah. I love it. Interact is a wonderful organization that does incredible work. Interactadvocates.org. Interactadvocates.org. Yep. And this is a one-stop shop for learning all about. Oh, yeah. Led by the youth. So this is Aww. youth this is youth positive and they are they do some incredible incredible work at raising visibility. Wow. And are you still a part of the Interface Project? That I am not. I'm no longer uh, with the Interface Project. I'm moving moved on to the work I currently do, but that project still exists and is still creating more narratives of people living with an intersex trait. Oh. Under the tagline, nobody is shameful. I love that, too. And then there's the Intersex Society of North North America, America. ISNA.org. And that now is just sort of a, it's not an active website. It's online, but it's just uh, resources and statistics and definitions. and So less of a forum where people Mm -hmm. can share and interact. Interact. Oh, that's so good. Isn't it? It is. Clever. Awesome. Okay, so let's finish up your story. How did you get from Mayo Clinic to now? Well, funny you should. I so I went back to live with my mother, and I left high school after my junior year and went straight to the University of Montana, and then was politely asked to leave the drama department after two years. So then I went to Chicago and I started my jazz singing career, and then I did a little television and. Uh, somewhere along the way, I was in Japan, and the internet had and been, the internet had been invented, and there was I was in the I was in the uh, this very swishy hotel in Osaka, and they had a business center, and you could get on the internet, which I thought sounded so boring. Like, why do I want to get on Alta Vista and search for information? I'm like a librarian. <laughs> like, I don't. I, that sounds so boring. But that's because I'm an ENFP. (laughs) But nevertheless, I called my mother from Japan, probably like a $45 phone call for 30 seconds, and said, what what do I have again? (laughs) Oh, yeah. And she said, they're calling it androgen insensitivity syndrome now, Eden. I'm like, okay. So I typed it in, Mm -hmm. and the search results came up, and there was a name, Patricia, and a phone number. And I started crying. Because it had been 13 years, 14 years, since I had had the surgery Mm -hmm. 
And a year later found out some more truth, but then buried it mm-hmm. because what was I supposed to do with it? Yeah. I, there was no one else. I was alone. And then 13 years later, Patricia, I waited until I got back into the States and I called her and we talked for six hours. What? And cried and cried. And she said the oh. words that changed my life forever. She said, I know exactly how you feel. Oh my gosh. Well, shout out to Patricia. How special. She's, she's, and there is a sort of a tradition in the community where, where people will shout out to who was your first contact. Oh. And I have been able to be the first contact for not only adults, but parents of young children. And that feels more like legacy than almost anything else I've ever done. Oh, I'm going to cry. That's so beautiful. It's pretty great. Wow. So do you stay in contact with Patricia? Of course. Absolutely. That's so cool. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. The people that I have had the great privilege to come to know and call friends because of our connection through some of them are parents now. Some of them are little kids. Some of them are older than I am and some are men, some are women, some are non-binary mm-hmm. completely. That They are a, an unending source of inspiration. Oh, to me, too. <laughs> You're an inspiration to me. The, the, the generations coming up and, you know, a lot of the audience of Sexplanations, they write and they talk about these things and they want to learn. I just, ah, yeah, they, they are certainly inspiring. So good. So much goodness. Aw. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming and sharing all of that with us. Thank you for continuing to do this work. This, I think this work is legacy in so many ways. And I think it is absolutely a certainty that it has eradicated some shame, staved off some violence, healed some, some hearts and minds. I am sure of that. Mm, that was so lovely to hear. I have a homework assignment that I came up with. Oh, all right. Let's I think it. that everyone needs to say thank you to their Patricia this mm. week. So whoever that is, the person in your life that gave you permission to be exactly the way you are, the person who said, I understand you, let's all say thank you to our Patricias this week. Send, send thank great. you notes. Okay, so... Yes, thank you again. And thank you to our sponsors, the people on Sexplanations podcast at Patreon who help us out, to the production team at Complexly Cinema Studios and Count Boogie, and Cora and Parle. I'm still learning.